0: welcome to a special team up of neon jazz interviews with the host of the wonderful jazz podcast and radio show something came from baltimore tom galker tom graciously invited me to talk about an iconic album at length and i picked miles davis's birth of the cool i'm all for it while Tom was needing some convincing. We get into all of the angles on this album and so much more. Always great to catch up with Tom, and I recommend that everyone subscribe and get into his wonderful programming. He's a gem in the world of broadcast jazz journalism. It's always an honor. Enjoy this episode put together by Tom. (music)
1: Welcome to Some Came From Baltimore. My name is Tom Galker, and I will be your host today. Some came from Baltimore's jazz blues and RV podcast and radio show, and it's not really about Baltimore. Today is a Why Is It Good episode. We do this from time to time, where I interview a talented musician, author, or tastemaker, and they choose the album of their choice, and we deep dive, track by track. We find out why it is good. So I got a tastemaker, actually a smart, legendary podcaster, on the way from Kansas City, and it is the host and creator of Neon Jazz. Neon Jazz has been on the radio since 2011 with the host Joe Domino, and he is here today. The album Joe Domino had chose was an early classic from Miles Davis, the 1957 release Birth of the Cool." It's a landmark recording, and we're going to get into it. But first, don't forget to subscribe to Something Came From Baltimore and play the show volume up and down, because we need that credit. And second, while you're subscribing to my show, subscribe to Neon jazz. Normally, our artists do not cross over or overlap, so it'll give you a wider jazz music experience. It's hard to find new music, and between both of our podcasts and shows, we got it for you. Okay, So let's do this. It's why is it good? It's the Miles Davis Birth of the Cool. Something came from Baltimore. Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore. Baltimore, Joe D'Amino, welcome to Something Came from Baltimore. It's always a pleasure to see you, Tom. Thank you. We came up with this idea of why is it good. That's something that I do on my show. Uh, Professionals uh, pick an album and explain why it's good. And this time, what did you pick? I picked Miles Davis's Birth of the Cool
0: which is just an iconic album one of the things that's so iconic about this album it's it was one of the early periods of his life where he actually made a change which he did throughout his entire life but this was one of those marked changes where he was kind of saying you know to the world i'm moving in a new direction i mean he ushered in bebop and these movements that the old figs would say they didn't like and they were resisting but man if it wasn't for miles and these innovators we wouldn't have what we have today in modern
1: music hmm. now okay so i begged you off this this uh album because it's not one of my favorites and i was like oh let's do this let's do that and i said look i'm gonna be a big boy and i even woke up this morning and said i'm gonna be honest i'm not loving this album i want you to help me with it okay. now i understand that we're talking 66 years old the album was released but that was 7 years before that before it was actually produced. When it's only 32 minutes long and I and I keep on listening to it and I keep on looking at it going like oh my god how many more tracks do we have? There's something wrong with me internally that I can't get over the hump. Today you're going to help me get over the hump and okay. and I did and I did research on it. So I feel like I understand what happened. I feel when you're a podcaster and you have a, a jazz radio show this is sacrilege. <laughs> I, I, right now, this album is ranked number 19 of the best albums of all time for jazz in uh, the top uh, 1,000 albums of all time. I believe it's like 329. So it's it's landmark. How did this evolve? How did this become a landmark album? Do you know offhand?
0: Well, I will tell you one thing right now. My son, his name's Miles. So that gives you a little bit of what where my leaning is. But the one thing I think that's very key about this is that the gateway drug for a lot of people to get into jazz is Miles Davis and it's kind of blue okay so of oh. course once you open that door and for a lot of people after that they kick the door open Miles and his catalog is very iconic and it's very um it, it it's very emblematic of that time period like this was in 49 that was a golden era of jazz and that 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 late 40s into the 50s there was so much that was going on. It was lightning speed. Everything that came out was this, this wondrous like world of serum that we all still sip on right now. And that's what this album epitomizes to to me. So, your question. I'm sorry, I got to, I deviated a little bit. Like, why why is it ranked so high? Why well, is this a landmark
1: album? You, you kind of explained why.
0: I think the one thing is is that it was a non-ed. And there was so many people that were on this and that whole big band concept kind of came, like the big band era wasn't really happening at that point. Mm -hmm. And for him to get an assemblage of so many talented people all together at, at once, and quite simply put, which is the reason why I love jazz, it's just this feeling that washes over you. And as you know very well, being a host, there's albums and there's feelings that come in. So- I don't know that I would need to convince you any more than you're convinced about this album. You don't even have to like it because at the end of the day, that's the beauty of all of this is that we all have these individual vibes and feelings that go into it. And we just, it works for us or it doesn't work for us. Now, your favorite Miles Davis album, which I've done, if you want to let everybody know.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's decoy, but it's, it's, it's personal. To me, because it was the first Miles Davis album I ever bought, and yeah, I was a young guy. I wrote down because I was like, "Oh my god, people are gonna turn this off. They're not gonna listen to us because I don't love this album as much as they do." Like on the corner, Jack Johnson. Someday, my Prince will come on the uh, decoy, uh Tutu, br- Bitches Brew. All of them, I'm I'm totally in love with. Th- this one, I'm not, and I don't yeah. know why.
2: Yeah.
0: I, and it could be this. This could be the thing that is more discussionable with what us here, is there's a later era of Miles and there's an earlier era of Miles. And I'm not really into that later era. Like, I can totally get into it and go with it and I play it on the show. But if I sit down with a glass of whiskey at the end of the day and I want something that's going to wash over me the same way that whiskey well, it's Birth of the Cool. It's all of those early albums, you know, all of those earlier albums and that library really hit me. But I think the thing that's beautiful about Miles is is that he evolved so much. Like, for instance, the the heralded son of Kansas City, Charlie Parker, his style pretty much was, a lot of it was the same. Charlie Parker is Charlie Parker. He didn't go through these sea changes. He didn't go through these momentous, stylistic changes that charted this evolutionary path. Because like you got education around me here if you took a timeline and you looked Mm -hmm. at miles at his arc there's so many things that were vastly different about what he did he was a restless soul i mean he was a painter he was uh you know he wrote he he did all these things but the one thing that's always got me about miles when i talked to people that were around miles davis you know whether it was gary bartz or it was sonny rollins or it was uh Dick Conti, um, out in, out in San Francisco, long time broadcaster. They always say one thing about Miles. He listened like no one else. That's why whenever you go and do a YouTube and say the look, his look is, is that he's sitting there and he's not saying anything and he's listening. And then he Mm -hmm. gives the look because the whole time his ears and the way he he conceptualized things. So in a roundabout way, I think that's the thing that's beautiful about him. He was so restless. He had to move forward on this sound spectrum that he was he was gliding down in his magic spaceship that no one could figure out his whole life. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I just watched the Birth of the Cool, the documentary to get into this. Being restless and being a creative and being an artist are number one for him. And always searching, never stopping, even up until right up to the end. I'm going to go through some of the notes that he did play with Charlie Parker, and he yes. didn't play to the level that Parker did. The the speed that wasn't his thing, right? And, and he felt that he was being abused on stage. That he was, and uh, Charlie Parker was already like on his heroin kick. He died when he was 35, so it's not he's a young dude. So he had Miles on stage, and he was when this album was recorded. Miles was 22. It was 1949. And then we came in three different sessions. The first session was January 21st. The other one was 422. And then the other one was 39. And it was Moz wasn't alone. He was with a a group of, of people who all felt the same thing, is that bebop seems to be like played out a little. And they're playing to their strengths. And the strengths was this whole new thing called cool jazz. That, to me, I went in a rabbit hole trying to figure out cool jazz. The funniest thing is that this album was recorded in 49. And by the time it was released, Miles Davis was at number 19 on the releases. He had 19 albums recorded before that. This album came out and it was kind of like anti-bebop, but it had a bebop vibe, cool jazz vibe, and a big band vibe. So it was like a a melting pot of something that kind of didn't really exist. What's your thoughts on all that? Like, I don't want to say anything I didn't get right. No, you you are right. Yeah. Cool Jazz was kind of an
0: outgrowth of the West Coast vibe that was going on. Stan Getz was getting involved with it. There was a lot of cats that were doing kind of the lighthouse cats. I mean, even, even guys that were on here from like Jerry Mulligan to Lee Konitz and all of these guys, they, they all had these like things they picked up from the coast. And I think that's the thing that was so interesting about the way – Jazz was really roaring even at that time in the 40s when they were doing this 40s and 50s. It was emblematic of the place that you were at. Like with Baltimore, we talked about this on the last podcast. There's vibes that you get from that city. The 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 blues was really in in, in a part of the Kansas City vibe at the time when it was roaring on 18 and vine and on the west coast you just kind of had this lifestyle that was a little bit more laid back a little bit more ethereal a little bit more visceral there was just things of that nature that were coming in and i think miles may have and and not knowing for sure that he may have like gotten around some cats that were from that west coast era and Mm -hmm. felt it over there because he traveled so much that, you know, it just got infused into his music and he found the right assemblage of people to, to verify
1: that vibe. Okay, this album came out in 1957. It was recorded in 1949 yeah. and 1950. So they sat. They sat at Capitol, only released one album before then with them and then released this one. This is where they wanted to go. By the time 57 came, they were already there. Yeah. Those artists that were on this album and Miles were already at a place that that they wanted to go, that they've talked about. It was a very intellectual experience because he went to college and he also felt like he needed to be on the streets. He felt that what he was learning in college was awesome. And he was like learning this classical uh piece. He was meeting people who have come in with different shapes and sizes, different vibes. And then out in the street, they were playing something else. So yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to incorporate that. It seems like the guys that he brought in were also on that same wavelength. I know it sounds weird, but I look at this album as Graceland's Paul Simon. It was a, an anomaly of its time. It just kind of yep. came out. It had fusion of stuff that was interesting, like South African, African vibes, uh, you know, just like funk and, and uh like pop and some u- unique stuff. It was a melting pot of stuff, and it didn't even mesh into the current cycle of what was popular. It was like a weirdo album, yeah, and people embraced it, and I felt that maybe this Birth of Cool was a weirdo album for the time. I I could be wrong, but that's how I kind of compared the two.
0: I would think so, and I would think with an outfit as big as Capitol, they sat on it for a reason, because they weren't releasing material like that at the time. Because, you know, our memory in America tends to be short-term, but jazz was the popular music at the time. That was... Beyonce that was the that was what we see is like the big people now but at that time that's what it was so imagine somebody at that remember when Garth Brooks did that album where he had his alter ego Chris Gaines yeah right and you remember that was kind of like I, I'm sure the record label you know wrestled with him on that one I mean think about Queen when we watched that movie and they didn't The record label didn't want to do the operatic take on things they they didn't want this Rock thing to become an opera and to become this thing that they wanted, but look what happened. it became it became a cornerstone of pop culture and what we listen to now. It's a trendsetter, and so was miles and that's the thing that was so good about miles. That's what the record labels I think finally understood is that he was creating something that was eventually going to split off and become a big thing. I mean, I even remember when Steve Jobs released the iPad, he got destroyed for it. The name of it. why is it called Pad? Why, why this? Why that? Why does it have to be so big? I mean, it's the, one of the most revolutionary pieces of technology in this modern era, so in, that, in a roundabout way, that's what I'm getting at. Miles was always doing that. I mean, even later in his life, in the 80s, he was doing collaborations
1: with R&B and rap acts. He was... Scritti-plitti. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it seems to me that I don't know how hot he was on this, because these all these songs were released. This is a compu- compilation of of like the '78s, you know, with multiple tracks on it that were released during that time period. It was the there was two producers on the album. It's Walter Rivers and Peter Julio, Like worked with Nat King Cole, Judy Christie, Stan Getz. He did the TV theme, The Leave with the Beaver. He was yeah yeah he was that. How cool is that? Yeah. So it seems to me that he's the one that pushed these songs out. It didn't seem like anyone was really hot for them. They weren't songs that were on regular rotation. Like, oh, we got to play this, you know, from seven forty nine to fifty seven. It was like I think that he pushed it out, and then they're like, oh, wait, we got something here. Like yeah. they were already singles; they were already out there in the ether. Yeah,
0: and and I think that's the thing about it. That's the interesting thing about, I think about discussing these things is there's always this backstory. There's always yeah. this huge backload. and I tend to know things about Miles that are or they're related to this, but I think. This was simply one of those things, literally, I think, ahead of its time. Yeah. It, there, exactly. there was just a level of this, that the world wasn't ready for it. And man, like I said, how many times has that happened in the world of music, where people are just are not ready for certain things to happen. But once it is released, release the Kraken, it's like it just turns into this stellar thing. You know, yeah. and like I said, Miles was doing that his entire career. But at the same time, you got to realize, too, there was a level of Miles that had a temperament that was and, and rightfully so because of racism was very skeptical of a lot of things. And I think in business dealings, he was probably very sacred about the way that he was going to let things happen. And part of this could have been him saying, we need to be ready. This may not be the time because for Miles, he had irons in the fire all the time. Yeah, So it wasn't like if he didn't do this album and release it, that
1: he was going to be sitting around like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. No. The, the Birth of the Cool is the name of the album. But it wasn't even created at the time. It was the thought process of the the players. Yeah. So by the time this album got released, they're like, oh, now I understand what the Birth of the Cool is. It was really the Birth of the Cool because by 1957, th- these guys were already in that that, um, the range of what cool jazz was. And I was like, I guess I don't really understand what cool jazz, they they were talking about the background is in is a warm texture where the solo is on fire, you know, where the solo takes it. I mean, that's very minimal when you talk about colors and and stuff, but it's also uh, a unison, playing in unison. It's also uh, playing off of each other in in a playful way. I just think of California artists when I think of cool jazz, and I don't Uh think of this album. And when I hear this album, I don't think of it, but it's birth of the cool. And that's why this album title is awesome, because it really was the birth of the cool. So, I mean, it was aptly titled. And they are like, okay, this is the blueprint. This is where we're going to go. We'll get there. And and by the album released, it was like, they're there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think a part of the cool jazz thing was, it was almost like, not smooth jazz, but there was a level of it. That was just kind of rearranged in a sonic way so it was a little bit more palatable by the masses. Not in the beginning, but I think as time went on, that's why this album rose up so high in the charts. Because there was a level of this. Because there's a lot of jazz from that era, if you listen to it. It was, for jazz aficionados, it's high up on their list. But for the masses a different thing just like with radio now and i keep bringing these parallelisms into it but it's really about popular taste It's how all of these things happen like definitely it, like frank zappa was like he was a musician's musician everyone loved frank and everyone understood his genius but for the masses he was not a mass palette
1: mm-hmm. you and know it's barely so yeah yeah okay so. yeah you're right and I, i'm i'm glad we're having this conversation because i i was gonna lie and say i liked it when i don't really no, you shouldn't. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's the beauty of, of
0: art is like, just like we're walking through a museum, there's going to be a painting that you're going to see, a Matisse, that I may not like, but you it may be the, fav- the, the favorite thing that you ever saw in your life, just like that, that you'll sit for hours in front of it. And I think that's the beauty of the process. There may come a later, t- later time where, you know,
1: you might get into it a little bit more. But at this point, yeah. No. I'm 57. It, it did, yeah. If it didn't sink into the <laughs> chorus, like, I'm a big music fan. If yeah, I knew, yeah. if it hasn't done it yet. But I mean, I've heard these songs, a lot of these songs before, over, yeah. and, over yeah. and over and over. Uh, and it's not going to happen. There are 11 tracks. They're all like basically around three minutes long. The, it, they said it was like a a nonette, an ensemble. They're calling it a nonette, which is a non-standard example for an ensemble. Like a piano is replaced by a flute of some sort, or there's replacements. I'm listening to it today, and I'm like, "Oh, that tuba is the bass. Like, yeah. there's a tuba in there, and yeah. and it's like that seems kind of really creative." And I was like, "And it's rocking." And I think, like, I'm like the the mixing quality of this album. It must have been mixed over multiple times because, yeah one it, one is beautifully like I'm hearing awesome production value. I'm hearing the drums really high up in the mix, where I don't know if it was, but the the drums are rock through yeah. almost the whole thing so there is some really cool stuff even that the piano is in the background there's only one solo i think through the whole 11 songs but uh does Nine net mean anything to you i never heard i mean i've heard it when i talk about this but i've never like We really never say it in conversation
0: it's it's one of those things that i think was kind of coined during this every once in a while i'll hear non net whenever i'm playing <laughs> stuff but i think they've re- they've turned that into it's a big band
1: <laughs> it's- When it's all said and done i mean because i guess 66 years looking into this yeah it, it's it's been done this could be the birth of it and now they have terms for it but we've heard this many like i'm a big band lover i'm like oh well most of these songs, I'm like, uh, I think this is a big band song. Like, I've heard yeah. this in a big band format. Also, they're very cokey. They're, they're very, like, they still have that bebop Coke. Like, I'm on Coke. I'm, like, on Flyer vibe, yeah. some of them. Yeah. He was really excited to work with uh, Gil Evans on this album. He and, loves Gil. Yeah. yeah. They've had but a long relationship. They had a long relationship. And number 19, this album came out, his release. And then, I think, number 21, Miles Ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, they—they they were like this is that saddle on the fence. They worked together. They've collaborated through the years. Miles Ahead comes out just two albums after uh, this album.
0: Hi, jazz fans. This is the founder and host of Neon Jazz, Joe D'Amino. It's both a weekly radio show and interviews with musicians from all over the world, like the Netherlands, New York City, and back to Kansas City, the home of Neon Jazz, covering the rich history and modern world of jazz in a fresh way, featuring interviews with the likes of Arturo Sandoval, Sonny Rollins, Maria Schneider, and countless others. Find our weekly show on Mixcloud. Subscribe to the interviews via iTunes and YouTube. We are Neon Jazz.
1: Talk about the tracks by tracks. Are you able to to go in there and dig through the actual tracks?
0: yeah and and you know and and I have the track listing here. you know, you start out with move, which is a perfect term for the for the beginning of this. In fact, on my show that started Neon Jazz in 2011, I believe Move was one of the first songs I ever
1: played on my first show. Like it was like I, I made sure that I had Bertha cool on there. For Move, I said it was very cokey. Big band needs bebop. Like right there's an example of big band a sound meeting bebop and, and that fusion of the two. Yeah. And then that's where I was like, oh, there're tubas in there playing that bass. Yeah. And I said there's some great solos.
0: Jeru is wonderful. That's Jerry Mulligan um, composition, and other really nice
1: way of keeping that momentum going from move for uh, Juru. I said uh, I know that probably Benny Goodman, Count Basie, they must have done this song over and over and over. This is like a classic drum sound, amazing, and that's where I was like, oh, this audio cannot sound this good from 1949. It just can't. Right. Yeah. So okay. this has to be enhanced, and, and it has a great sound to it.
0: was a little bit more of like kind of pulling it down. You got, that was a Gil Evans, Johnny Mercer. Um, they kind of
1: pull it down and then. Moon Dreams, this is my favorite one on it. I like the whole unison in the background and, and the fact that it it does what it says. It sounds like the cool jazz that they're going to. Venus de Milo, I think I like the imagery. I like the idea of like
0: the birth. There was a level of this that was an artistic birth. And again, that's Mulligan. Mulligan always
1: has such a defined style of things. The Venus de Milo, this one what blew me away. I know that I've heard the song over and over, but I feel that the Kinks from the uh, Village Green Preservation Society, the song Starstruck. Yeah. Um, they stole it. <laughs> like they stole Venus De Milo. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna play this on the on the show so people can hear what I'm thinking. But sure. I'm like, I'm like, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Where yeah. is that? So uh-huh. it, it's the kinks And I went into the kinks There's no mention that they, they, they use this as a reference So I, I may be tripping
2: Baby You don't know what you saying.
0: You got Bud Powell in there, arranged by John Lewis. Bud Powell is just like when you talk about that—that—that—that <laughs> that, that, that cocaine jazz. It's like it, it goes. I wrote you know? cokie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: deception george shearing is just amazing and again arranged by the great jerry mulligan uh
1: i like the sax counterpoint i just would like it louder in the mix
0: talking i'm talking from like side a that's vinyl that right there to me that is quite a lineup and then you flip over on the other side and go track seven godchild again by jerry mulligan and i think jerry mulligan not only on this album but i think jerry mulligan's one of those jazz players that people don't realize how prolific he was and how much people that were big shots like miles relied on him to kind Mm -hmm. of keep things in, in in the lane that he wanted it to go in. Um Boblicity, what a great name. I mean, that's the thing about jazz. <laughs> Like it was all these cool terms. It was the cool, it was the imagery and the image of Miles on there. It's just like this like the the cool backdrop to a skateboard that you saw when you were a kid. It was just hipper and shit. And it's just it's awesome. So you go from oplicity to rocker again, mulligan. Um Israel, I think Godchild and Israel a little bit the same. I think there was some emotives that were going into that, that was getting a little bit spiritual, that was tapping into a whole other well versus just really throwing the jazz out there and getting heavy with it. Rogue is song 11, and it's the final one, and I think that's probably appropriate. For, for the ending of of such a album that was Rogue, as we've established. Mm-hmm. So we start with the track Move, which obviously moved pretty well, and we end with Rogue. What a nice couple of bookends
1: for an iconic kind of recording. And from 8 to 11, I kept on looking at Like, I'm done with this album. Yeah, I kept, right. <laughs> So I, I kept on looking, going like, oh my god, how much more do I have? <laughs> this is a problem. Like, this is right. a problem for a classic album. And this album is now on Blue Note. How did it go from capital to Blue Note? Whew, that's a good
0: question. Um I didn't realize that. I always thought Capitol had it, but I know that the cover arts changed a lot. And when they do that, when they switch from label to label, they do it. But I think Blue Note just had a time where it just started. The the functionality, I think, of Blue Note, to a good degree, not only being a premier jazz label, is I think they were really master archivists. I think they really want to preserve what they can get their hands on. And they just know how iconic this album is. And maybe Miles at some point had some wish to completely get out from underneath Capitol.
1: But that would be something to look into that's that's interesting there's only two capital compilations you know this is including one of them so his relationship with that was very minuscule i'd rather have my archives on luna or or verve or someone who's going to take care of them you know yeah Yeah, someone so we knocked this out yeah we did knock this out (laughs) i feel very cathartic i feel like i've i feel like i've uh addressed the the beast of what this album is Yeah. Um, So this gets to the point where I'm like, why is it good? Final synopsis for anyone who listened to it and got to this part. Why is this album good? This album represents a very momentous moment
0: in jazz that really heralded a change. But I think more than anything else, to me, as a lover of this music, it represents that feeling, that birth of a feeling that you get when you love a genre of music. Like cracking open that book that you really got weaned on that made you love reading or want to be a writer. For me, this made me want to be more of a listener and it could have made this, this album could have birthed thousands and thousands of other jazz musicians. But at the end of the day, this album to me represents a warm, lovely jazz serum that you will want
1: over and over, over. This is the safe drug. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the whole miles and mystique. I mean, that's a whole different thing, but you know, between miles and monk and, and, uh, Mingus, maybe, uh, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, yeah. you, you, these are real characters. Like yeah, yeah. Miles is Miles is a character, and uh, if you're you know digging into to jazz history, you you can't avoid the, the man himself and, and the images and the thoughts that bring into it. This is a part of his work, and he's going to change and he's going to look as cool as hell doing it. And you're just yeah, going to. Yeah be in awe as to you know what goes on so yeah um that's a part of it too you're on neon jazz I'm now a super favorite fan <laughs> i'm like we bind to a point where i i listen to you almost every day now <laughs> oh cool well thank you man yeah, yeah so <laughs> yeah. i i'm like i don't know how you do it like i think my this is hard for me and i can only imagine what you do with what you do really respect your show and i hope everyone checks it out
0: well thank you and i hope they check you out i'm a big fan of your show and i think what what it is it's when you find something you love just pour it into it yeah and and then it's not work it's just it's something that is is a joy and the more people that can listen to good music and jazz let's do it i'm in yeah Yeah.
1: And, and when it comes to this album I'm not afraid of it anymore. I, I do understand it. So <laughs> there could be an opportunity that it sinks in. So yeah. I thank you very much for joining me today on Something Came From Baltimore, the Why Is a Good edition of the Miles Davis album, Birth of the Cool. Always an honor and a pleasure, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. We did it. I can't believe we did it. We got it.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz production, along with Something Came from Baltimore, done by the great Tom Galker. And we thank him for inviting us. And for everything related to his program, please go on out and find him on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for my show, you can find Neon Jazz archived interviews at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, thanks again to Tom. Enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.